I'm very good today. Thank you. Sunny. Well, I made a submission to that um, water reform um, commission, and it's um, just a small thing. It's a, it's an action plan which um, I felt needed to be implemented, um, and um, they have acknowledged it. And in fact, on Monday, I'm giving further evidence um, in, in support of, of what I've suggested. So it's a it's a question that's been around for 20 years. And the government has gone in fits and bursts in terms of um, managing groundwater, monitoring it, uh, but it's not front of mind at the moment. Um, in fact, in the draft report, the commission suggested that um, groundwater wasn't that important because it basically didn't mention it. And it's 30% of um, water that's used in Australia. So, <laughs> Um, it, it's very disappointing, um, and I've been working with the University of New South Wales for maybe 18 months now. Um, their experts um, tell me that um, it's been ignored, and um, there's no obvious reason. Um, as part of my program, I, I submitted my action plan to all the relevant ministers, um, the Water Minister, the Environment Minister, both federally and state. and um, the response was, well, thank you very much. That's very interesting. Um, you know, we have a team that's working on it, so don't worry. Um, well, I, I found that quite difficult um, because nothing seems to be happening. And there's been quite a number of reports, particularly from professors at Flinders um, and uh, New South Wales, who have said really a 12, sorry, a 2012 report that was done for um, the National Water Commission um, was basically ignored. Uh, and it said that nearly a billion dollars of work needs to be done just to get it up to scratch so that it would be adequate for monitoring and then managing the resource. So the fact that this amount of money um, hasn't been spent and done in nine years um, is really trying to draw attention to and support the, um, the various experts in, in getting Australia back online. So we'll see um, how that goes. Well, the problem is that we, <clears throat> we really don't know much about it. We, we have the world's biggest aquifer in the Great Artesian Basin. Um, and it's connected to other basins. And uh, can we use more? Can it be better managed? Um, if you haven't got data, you can't manage it. So I just think that we need to work on getting the data and then being able to be much more confident about the water that we do use and make sure that we're not ruining the, the reservoirs um, or underutilizing them when farmers actually want groundwater for their for their crops and, and their cattle.
Well, that's not supported by the work that's been done by the experts. Um, I haven't found anyone who said that the data is good. Um, basically, what is happening is that um, it's some data there, but it's not enough to properly manage the resource uh, in a way that would be suitable for any business. Um, it, it's just under-resourced um, and it's, it's not front of mind. So what I'm saying is that we have to get the data and we have to then study and research how we can manage the resource much better. It's, it's about management and without data, you can't get good management. We do have some data. And in fact, the federal government, probably um, 2007, I think, um, did institute uh, a Bureau of Meteorology uh, data gathering system. They spent 450 million. Um, but when this was reviewed 10 years later, 2017, um, everybody said, well, yeah, it's, it's sort of good, but if you haven't got good data to feed it, then it really doesn't do the job that it was designed to do. And I think that's the problem. Well, um, I, th I think the best example is the Surat Basin up in Queensland. Um, it's where all of the coal seam methane gas is being extracted. And it's a massive investment, 80. And that investment um, brought with it the responsibility to monitor what interaction there was with groundwater. And they have spent a lot of time and money and they have an excellent system. Every three years they report. So they've reported three times now. And generally, it's always been pretty positive. But this is because they actually know what's going on and they have put in the systems that will support the information that's coming forward. So I think it's a good reference point um, for government. Government doesn't seem to want to spend the money, even though a billion dollars is a lot of money, but in the big context, it, it's quite small, really. I mean, we've spent 13 billion in buying back water for, um, for the environment. And, um, and that's been spent now and, and it's in, in, in train. So one billion just to manage the whole system to know what's going on, I think is um, money well spent. So if we could make a start on that, and that's what my action plan really references, um, I think that'd be very good because it would give us a template and it would encourage people to, to improve the systems we've got and understand how the data can be better managed. Correct. Um, they're all interconnected. And in fact, groundwater keeps rivers going, really. Um, so it's just so important to understand how this, this all works and what the interconnections are. We haven't done the research. We do have the people, um, but they're sitting around waiting for, um, for the government to institute a plan, um, which will bring us up to scratch. And, and, and I think it's something that's urgent now um, because Groundwater is 30% of what we use in, in our day-to-day -day life.
Um, we do have monitoring, as you mentioned earlier, um, but we don't have a really good understanding of how the aquifers connect to each other. And when there is um, extraction, we don't really know what is going on with the groundwater movement. It, it's quite slow, actually, um, but it's um, something that needs more investigation and more research dollars applied to it. It needs a, a, a master plan, really, um, so that we can start to fill in the gaps and understand which are the most critical reservoirs and the aquifers. Um, we need to understand um, the chemistry and what is actually moving, but it's not nearly enough. And there's just not enough effort being put into making these things much better understood. <laughs> Baroness Orkski. I was on that show and um, and it was the first question asked on the quiz kids. Um, uh, oh, my back. Um, I think it was 11 years old. Um, and I, I was um, reading the book at the time, but I hadn't checked to see who the author was. So um, it created quite a lot of um, hilarity in the show. So it was memorable. I think it was chance. You love a challenge. And I think that's um, really what I've been happily, I guess, engaging in, in my career. So none of it was planned. It was just um, going from A to B to C to D. Uh, and, and I took the opportunities as they came. Well, I was living in the United States at the time and I was learning about the oil and gas industry <clears throat> and I was on a particular project, which was, but then someone had to go and get gather the data and being an Australian, I wasn't that familiar with the um, state of the Middle East and I hadn't spent much time thinking about the Middle East. I'd never been there. So I volunteered to go when someone went asked and it was only when I got to Baghdad that I found out the war was on because it wasn't reported in the Western press like we do today. And I was a bit surprised, although the chap who explained it to me um, said, well, you don't have to worry, it's in uh, North Iraq. And I said, well, that's where my project is. And anyway, I was dispatched, um, got around in armored cars, gathered data. Yeah, well, the war was on, I could hear the guns. I mean, when you can hear the guns, you're too close. So these were field guns which were firing into the mountains to, um, this was the Iraqis trying to subdue the Kurds who were um, wanting to get um, an independent Kurdistan at the time. So yeah, you, you sort of, once you're in the situation, you just sort of work with it, I guess. It's, um, it's not easy, but it's um, something that um, 
you learn to live with once you're there. Um, correct, correct. I have to get all of the data regarding production from the various fields or three major oil fields there. Um, and they were flaring about a thousand, oh, sorry, a billion cubic foot a day natural gas, which had about 100,000 barrels a day of LPG, which was being wasted. Um, so the idea was to gather the gas, put it in power stations, separate out the LPG and, and use that because they were currently using kerosene for home, home use, uh, for cooking and whatever. So um, LPG would be ideal and they had plenty of it. So it was a very fine project. Absolutely. You can't design anything if you don't know what the details are in terms of um, you know, you, you design criteria. It's as simple as that. Um, I think there must be people who are advising them, suggesting that um, they've managed to create water plants in the past. Um, and um, even though they may be not very good, they're adequate for, for their needs. But I think that's totally wrong. Um, and I think people have to um, come to terms with that. Um, we've just got to up the game and do it much more professionally um, with good data. Um, at the moment, we're just throwing darts at a board and, and hoping they might hit the target, but we don't really know. Well, groundwater is a state responsibility, uh, except for the Murray-Darling, which is a federal, uh, which overlaps, obviously, um, in Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria, and South Australia, to some extent. So. Um, it's largely in New South Wales, that's water New South Wales. Um, they're responsible for creating the water plans and, and they've recently done that, you know. Um, but I don't know how they could do them effectively because they don't have the data. And um, everybody tells me, all the experts say we don't have good data. Correct. Not really. Australia is is not well served with water. Um, evaporation is is the biggest problem. So if you have a dam, and it's a square mile, but it's um you know one metre deep, um, then in one year it will have evaporated. So there are schemes called mass schemes, which are managed aquifer recharge, uh, which have been touted, but very rarely. I think there's one or two in Australia, but not many. Um, and this really stops the evaporation. So if you can store the water underground, uh, this was looked at it for the Menindee Lakes in Western New South Wales. Um, but at the end, they decided to build a pipeline to Broken Hill. There's a lot of variables, but we are um, 
really relied on groundwater to, to a much greater degree. And I think the mass schemes are, are, are admirable. Uh, I think we should spend more time. But again, until you actually understand the overall system, you're not going to get very far. I was um, sent to Trinidad um, to build an LNG plant. Um, I was going to be the country manager. We we're going to spend several billion dollars. And um, when I went there, I realized that the culture was very different to what I'd experienced. Because you have to spend something like three days, 72 hours nonstop pretty much. And you, um, it's, it's sort of like a, a series of um, dances, concerts, um, and it, it's basically the pre-Lent festival. So it ends up on um, Pancake Tuesday. We participated and, and it was quite extraordinary really. And it was when I was sitting in the gutter in, in the main square in Port of Spain and I was um, noticing this other guy who was pretty bad. Managed to revive him with some red wine. I, I had no idea who he was, but he, he looked like he was about to you know, expire. But that night I was at the club and we're carrying on with Carnival again. And this guy comes over and he says, thanks for saving my life. You know, that was wonderful. You know, and my friend said, oh, that's Mick Jagger. Um, he, but these things happen when you're out and about in, in, in situations. So you Music is a fantastic discipline. Um, there are three things, really. Um, you've got to turn up. You've got to be on time. And you've got to listen to the other musicians. And if you don't do all of that, then you're not going to do it very well. And in fact, the same thing applies, I think, in any walk of life, you know, engineering. And it worked for me. I, I mean, I, I found being musician in Trinidad actually was much more important than being an engineer or a manager. And I said, well, it's a good way to um, connect with the community. And in fact, it proved to be correct. I, I became friends with the president of Trinidad um, and uh, it helped the business quite a bit. So it's, um, it works in many, many situations. So music is um, a very big part of my life and um, I continue to play and um, enjoy camaraderie too with playing in groups and, and creating something.
Well, I've always said that, you know, in any project, probably 80% is non-engineering. Understand the context which you're developing your project. And if you don't engage with community, you're going to have problems. And you have to have this strong engagement than um, anything else. But trying to understand the context, I think that, for me, was the most important element of my job. Correct. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.